0: Chapter Twenty-One of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Six by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter Twenty-One: Retaliation the rebel authorities watched the experiment of arming the blacks with the keenest apprehension and hostility in mr lincoln's order of july twenty two and eighteen sixty two directing military commanders to seize and use property real or personal for military purposes and to employ persons of african descent as laborers jefferson davis professed already to discover a wicked violation of the laws of war apparently forgetting that his own generals were everywhere using such persons in military labor when it was learned that hunter and phelps were endeavoring to organize negro regiments the language employed to express southern affectation of surprise and protest bordered on the ludicrous the best authenticated newspapers received from the united states writes general lee announce as a fact that major-general hunter has armed slaves for the murder of their masters and has thus done all in his power to inaugurate a servile war which is worse than that of the savage inasmuch as it superadds other horrors to the indiscriminate slaughter of ages sexes and conditions and phelps is charged with imitating the bad example general halleck very properly returned this and another letter as insulting to the government of the united states a little later the confederate war department issued a formal order that major-general hunter and brigadier-general phelps be no longer held and treated as public enemies of the confederate states but as outlaws and that in the event of the capture of either of them or that of any other commissioned officer employed in drilling organizing or instructing slaves with a view to their armed service in this war he shall not be regarded as a prisoner of war but held in close confinement for execution as a felon at such time and place as the president shall order mr davis seems to have cultivated a sort of literary pride in these formulas of invective for in his sensational proclamation about lawry against general butler and all commissioned officers in his command he repeats african slaves have not only been incited to insurrection by every license and encouragement but numbers of them have actually been armed for a servile war a war in its nature far exceeding the horrors and most merciless atrocities of savages in this it was ordered that all negro slaves captured in arms be at once delivered over to the executive authorities of the respective states to which they belong to be dealt with according to the laws of said states and that butler and his commissioned officers robbers and criminals deserving death be whenever captured reserved for execution president lincoln's two proclamations of emancipation excited similar threats about a week after the first was issued it was made a subject of discussion in the confederate senate at richmond and a confederate writer recorded in his diary the next day some of the gravest of our senators favor the raising of the black flag asking and giving no quarter hereafter When the final proclamation reached Richmond, Jefferson Davis was writing his annual message to the rebel Congress, and he ransacked his dictionary for terms to stigmatize it. Our own detestation of those who have attempted the most execrable measure recorded in the history of guilty man is tempered by profound contempt for the impotent rage which it discloses this new provocation also broadened his field of retaliation he now declared that he would deliver such criminals as may attempt its execution all commissioned officers of the united states captured in states embraced in the proclamation to the executives of such states to be punished for exciting servile insurrection the confederate congress while responding to the full degree of the proposed retaliation nevertheless preferred to keep the power of such punishment in the hands of the central military authorities apparently as promising a more certain and summary execution that body passed a joint resolution approved by davis may one eighteen sixty three which prescribed that white officers of negro union soldiers shall if captured be put to death or be otherwise punished at the discretion of the court The trial to take place before the military court attached to the army or corps making the capture or such other military court as the confederate president should designate the confederate cabinet seems to have been quite ready to execute this law of summary retaliation prescribed by the confederate congress in a letter of suggestions written by j a the confederate secretary of war to general e kirby smith commanding the trans mississippi department under date of august twelfth eighteen sixty three he said it is very probable that the forces employed by the enemy in guarding the river will consist in large measure of negro troops i think i have already in previous communications intimated to you as my own judgment that a most marked distinction should be made in the treatment when taken of these negro troops and of the white men leading them the latter had better be dealt with red-handed on the field or immediately thereafter the former to be considered rather as deluded victims of the hypocrisy and malignity of the enemy should not be driven to desperation but received readily to mercy and encouraged to submit in return to their masters when the confederate threats regarding negro soldiers were first launched the experiment had not yet been formally authorized by the government and as there was no probability that any early capture of such persons would be made by the enemy no attention was paid to rebel orders and proclamations on the subject a year later however when negro regiments were springing into full organization simultaneously in many places the matter became one of grave import as a rule the black regiments were commanded by white officers often selected as was specially the case with the fifty-fourth massachusetts from the very best material whose bravery in incurring this additional risk deserved the extra watchfulness and protection of the government the most elementary justice required that if it called the black man to do a soldier's duty it must cover him with a soldier's right and northern sentiment was prompt in urging the claim Frederick Douglass has related how he pressed the point upon Mr. Lincoln and the president's reply. As to the exchange and general treatment of colored soldiers when taken prisoners of war, he should insist on their being entitled to all privileges of such prisoners. Mr. Lincoln admitted the justice of my demand for the promotion of colored soldiers for good conduct in the field, but on the matter of retaliation he differed from me entirely i shall never forget the benignant expression of his face the tearful look of his eye and the quiver in his voice when he deprecated a resort to retaliatory measures once again said he i do not know where such a measure would stop he said he could not take men out and kill them in cold blood for what was done by others if he could get hold of the persons who were guilty of killing the colored prisoners in cold blood the case would be different but he could not kill the innocent for the guilty nevertheless in view of the great success which attended the enlistment of black recruits it became necessary for the government to adopt a settled policy on the question and on july thirtieth eighteen sixty three the president issued the following comprehensive order It is the duty of every government to give protection to its citizens of whatever class, color, or condition, and especially to those who are duly organized as soldiers in the public service. The law of nations and the usages and customs of war, as carried on by civilized powers, permit no distinction as to color in the treatment of prisoners of war as public enemies to sell or enslave any captured person on account of his color and for no offense against the laws of war is a relapse into barbarism and a crime against the civilization of the age the government of the united states will give the same protection to all its soldiers and if the enemy shall sell or enslave any one because of his color the offense shall be punished by retaliation upon the enemy's prisoners in our possession It is therefore ordered that for every soldier of the United States killed in violation of the laws of war, a rebel soldier shall be executed, and for every one enslaved by the enemy or sold into slavery, a rebel soldier shall be placed at hard labor on the public works and continued at such labor until the other shall be released and receive the treatment due to a prisoner of war. It is a gratification to record that the rebel government did not persist in the barbarous conduct it had officially announced, and that sanguinary retaliation did not become necessary. There were indeed some unimportant instances of imprisonment of captured blacks as hostages for which a few rebel soldiers were ordered into confinement by General Halleck, but the cases were not pushed to extremity under executive sanction on either side much more serious excesses however occurred under the responsibility and conduct of individual officers it is probable that most of them went unrecorded in october eighteen sixty two when the guerrilla outrages in missouri were in one of their moments of fiercest activity a union citizen of palmyra was abducted and murdered under circumstances which clearly marked it as an instance of concerted and deliberate partisan revenge in retaliation for this colonel john mcneil the union officer in local command who was under orders to deal severely and summarily with this class of offenders having demanded the perpetrators which demand was not complied with ordered the execution of ten rebel guerrillas of the same neighborhood and carried out the order with military publicity and formality even admitting the strong provocation modern sentiment could scarcely justify a punishment tenfold as severe as that demanded by the mosaic law But general mcneill has lately printed a letter explaining the circumstances in which he says the ten guerrillas executed not one of whom but had committed murder under circumstances of atrocity were selected from twenty-two who had previously been formally tried by a united states military commission and sentenced to death so that their death was but hastened by the act of retaliation the remaining twelve of the twenty-two convicted being soon afterwards shot in pursuance of their sentence by the officers in command at macon city and mexico missouri less than a month later there was brief mention in a letter of the rebel major-general holmes to the confederate war department of an analogous occurrence in northern texas a secret organization he wrote to resist the confederate conscript act in northern texas has resulted in the citizens organizing a jury of investigation and i am informed they have tried and executed forty of those convicted and thus this summary procedure has probably crushed the incipient rebellion even without the details the incident is a convincing explanation of the seeming unanimity for rebellion in that region the most shocking occurrence of this character however followed the employment of negro soldiers we cannot adequately picture the vindictive rage of many rebel masters at seeing recent slaves uniformed and armed in defense of a government which had set them free under the barbarous institution to perpetuate which they committed treason and were ready to die they had punished their human chattels with the unchecked lash sold them on the auction block hunted them with bloodhounds and it is hardly to be wondered at that amid the license of war individuals among them now and then thought to restore their domination by the aid of military slaughter as an evidence that such thoughts existed here and there we need only cite the language of major-general john c breckinridge late vice-president of the united states writing under date of august fourteenth eighteen sixty two to the union commander at baton rouge he recites in a list of alleged outrages that information has reached these headquarters that negro slaves are being organized and armed to be employed against us and adds i am authorized by major-general van dorn commanding this department to inform you that the above acts are regarded as in violation of the usage of civilized warfare and that in future upon any departure from these usages he will raise the black flag and neither give nor ask quarter mere official bravado from however conspicuous a personage only deserves mention when as in this instance it illustrates a type of feeling which in one case at least manifested itself in an incident of shocking barbarity in the spring of the year eighteen sixty four president lincoln went to baltimore to attend the opening of a large fair for the benefit of the sanitary commission in concluding the address which he was called upon to make on that occasion he said a painful rumor true i fear has reached us of the massacre by the rebel forces at fort pillow in the west end of tennessee on the mississippi river of some three hundred colored soldiers and white officers who had just been overpowered by their assailants there seems to be some anxiety in the public mind whether the government is doing its duty to the colored soldier and to the service at this point at the beginning of the war and for some time the use of colored troops was not contemplated and how the change of purpose was wrought i will not now take time to explain upon a clear conviction of duty i resolved to turn that element of strength to account and i am responsible for it to the american people to the christian world to history and on my final account to god having determined to use the negro as a soldier there is no way but to give him all the protection given to any other soldier the difficulty is not in stating the principle but in practically applying it it is a mistake to suppose the government is indifferent to this matter or is not doing the best it can in regard to it we do not to-day know that a colored soldier or white officer commanding colored soldiers has been massacred by the rebels when made a prisoner we fear it believe it i may say but we do not know it to take the life of one of their prisoners on the assumption that they murder ours when it is short of certainty that they do murder ours might be too serious too cruel a mistake we are having the fort pillow affair thoroughly investigated and such investigation will probably show conclusively how the truth is if after all that has been said it shall turn out that there has been no massacre at fort pillow it will be almost safe to say there has been none and will be none elsewhere If there has been the massacre of 300 there, or even the 10th part of 300, it will be conclusively proven, and being so proven, the retribution shall as surely come. It will be matter of grave consideration in what exact course to apply the retribution, but in the supposed case it must come the investigation referred to by the president was made by the committee on the conduct of the war and included the sworn testimony of about eighty witnesses most of them actual participants in the occurrence the committee found that fort Pillow, tennessee situated on the mississippi river and garrisoned by about five hundred and fifty seven union troops of whom two hundred and sixty two were colored was captured by assault by an overwhelming force of confederates under general forrest on april twelfth eighteen sixty four and that of the men from three hundred to four hundred are known to have been killed at fort pillow of whom at least three hundred were murdered in cold blood after the post was in possession of the rebels and our men had thrown down their arms and ceased to offer resistance it further appears that this inhumanity was directed principally against the colored soldiers the rebel general and his subordinates stoutly denied the accusation of vindictiveness but their explanations and later evidence failed to shake the general substance of the committee's allegation and proof indeed it would be difficult to refute the conclusiveness of the first report of general forrest himself on the third day after his exploit he telegraphed to general polk i attacked fort pillow on the morning of the twelfth instant with a part of bell's and mcculloch's brigades numbering blank under brigadier-general j r chalmers after a short fight we drove the enemy seven hundred strong into the fort under cover of their gunboats and demanded a surrender which was declined by major l w booth commanding united states forces i stormed the fort and after a contest of thirty minutes captured the entire garrison killing five hundred and taking one hundred prisoners and a large amount of quartermaster stores the officers in the fort were killed including major booth i sustained a loss of twenty killed and sixty wounded the confederate flag now floats over the fort this astonishing result is further explained by the contemporaneous threats made officially by these confederate officers on the twenty fifth of march preceding in demanding the surrender of Paducah, kentucky general forrest wrote if you surrender you shall be treated as prisoners of war but if i have to storm your works you may expect no quarter and on the day following the fort pillow massacre general a buford one of forrest's brigadiers said in his demand for the surrender of columbus kentucky should you surrender the negroes now in arms will be returned to their masters should i however be compelled to take the place no quarter will be shown to the negro troops whatever the white troops will be treated as prisoners of war and in a subsequent correspondence forrest wrote under date of june twenty to the union general c c washburn i regard captured negroes as i do other captured property and not as captured soldiers the language of these officers at paducah and columbus is a sufficient commentary on their achievement at fort pillow the excuse of hot blood and sudden passion can hardly be urged in extenuation for nearly a full year the subject had been under official scrutiny and debate their secretary of war had long since officially suggested red-handed dealings on the field or immediately thereafter for white officers of colored regiments with mercy for negro soldiers that the latter might not be driven to desperation whether forrest and others read a hidden meaning between the lines of the confederate secretary's letter or whether they chose to defy the spirit it breathed their acts have the appearance of a deliberate policy and intention president lincoln formally took up the consideration of the subject on the third of may by writing to the several members of his cabinet it is now quite certain that a large number of our colored soldiers with their white officers were by the rebel force massacred after they had surrendered at the recent capture of fort pillow so much is known though the evidence is not yet quite ready to be laid before me meanwhile i will thank you to prepare and give me in writing your opinion as to what course the government should take in the case the answers of his advisers differed widely mr seward affirmed the duty of the government to vindicate the right of all its soldiers to be regarded and treated as prisoners of war nevertheless he urged great caution in any proceeding looking to retaliation and advised for the present only the setting apart and rigorous confinement of an equal number of confederate prisoners as hostages until the rebel government could be called upon to explain or disavow the cruelties and give pledges that they should not be repeated mr chase held the same view except that he advised that the hostages should be selected from rebel prisoners of highest rank in number equivalent according to the rules of exchange to the officers and men murdered at fort pillow mr stanton also advised that the hostages be selected from rebel officers that forrest chalmers and all officers and men concerned in the fort pillow massacre be excluded from the benefit of the president's proclamation of amnesty and from the privilege of exchange and their delivery for punishment be demanded from the richmond authorities in default of which delivery the president should take such measures against the hostages as the state of things then existing might make necessary the advice of mr wells was essentially the same as that of mr stanton mr blair on the contrary took different ground there are two reasons he wrote which would prevent me from ordering the execution of prisoners man for man in retaliation for the massacre at fort pillow first that i do not think the measure would be justified by the rules of civilized warfare even in a contest between alien enemies second because even if allowable in such a contest it would not be just in itself or expedient in the present contest and the inclination of my mind is to pursue the actual offenders alone in such cases as the present to order the most energetic measures for their capture and the most summary punishment when captured a proclamation or order that the guilty individuals are to be hunted down will have far greater terrors and be far more effectual to prevent the repetition of the crime than the punishment of parties not concerned in that crime mr bates agreed in opinion with mr blair he would demand of the enemy a disavowal or an avowal of the act if he disavow it then demand the surrender of the generals guilty of the fort pillow massacre to be dealt with at your discretion if he avow and justify the act then instruct your commanders to cause instant execution upon any and all participants in the massacre whether officers or privates who should fall into their power he added i would have no compact with the enemy for mutual slaughter no cartel of blood and murder no stipulation to the effect that if you murder one of my men i will murder one of yours retaliation is not mere justice it is avowedly revenge is wholly unjustifiable in law and conscience unless adopted for the sole purposes of punishing past crime and of giving a salutary and blood-saving warning against its repetition mr usher also joined in the opinion that punishment should not be visited upon innocent persons but he urged that the government should set apart for execution an equal number of prisoners who since the massacre have been or may hereafter from time to time be captured from forrest's command he also urged another reason we are upon the eve of an impending battle until the result shall have been known it seems to me to be inexpedient to take any extreme action in the premises if favourable to our arms we may retaliate as far as the laws of war and humanity will permit if disastrous and extreme measures should have been adopted we may be placed in a position of great embarrassment and forced to forego our threatened purpose in order to avoid a worse calamity it is probable that this view took a deep hold upon the cabinet grant was about entering upon his wilderness campaign and its rapid succession of bloody conflicts crowded out of view and consideration a topic so difficult and so hazardous as wholesale retaliation for the fort pillow barbarity which on one hand strict justice demanded and which on the other enlightened humanity forbade in these opposing duties there could be little doubt toward which the kind heart of the president would incline he had long since laid down for himself a rule of conduct applicable to this class of cases in his annual message of december three eighteen sixty one he had declared in considering the policy to be adopted for suppressing the insurrection i have been anxious and careful that the inevitable conflict for this purpose shall not degenerate into a violent and remorseless revolutionary struggle it does not appear that the fort pillow question was ever seriously renewed in the cabinet or definitely concluded by the president the proceedings relating to retaliation which we have thus far sketched bring us back to another and by no means the least interesting phase of the general subject of negro soldiers we may here anticipate the course of events so far as to say that in the autumn and winter of eighteen sixty four the cause of the south was already lost and the collapse of the confederate government plainly foreshadowed to all except the leaders whose infatuation and wounded vanity made them unwilling to acknowledge and accept defeat yet this effort to avoid confession of error in one direction compelled them to admit it in another they had seceded for slavery had made it the cornerstone of their government had anathematized president lincoln for his decrees of emancipation had pronounced the ban of outlawry and had prescribed the sentence of death against every white officer who might dare to command negro troops but now in their extremity, some of them proposed to throw consistency to the winds and themselves commit the acts upon which they had invoked the reprobation of mankind and for which they had ordained extreme punishment it would be difficult to estimate the benefit they had derived from the direct military labor of the slave especially in building fortifications they now proposed not only to put arms in his hands and make him a soldier to fight in the ranks but also as a final step to emancipate him for the service even the flexible political conscience of jefferson davis however winced a little at the bold abandonment of principle which this policy involved and in his message of november seventh eighteen sixty four to the confederate congress he argued the question with the reluctance of a man preparing to walk over live coals we have not space to abridge his hair-splitting arguments to justify the south in what they had so vociferously denounced when done by the north the sum of his recommendation is that the twenty thousand slaves then employed in various labors in the confederate army should be increased to forty thousand be drilled in in encamping marching and parking trains and employed as a pioneer and engineer laborer he says i must dissent from those who advise a general levy and arming of the slaves for the duty of soldiers until our white population shall prove insufficient for the armies we require and can afford to keep in the field to employ as a soldier the negro who has merely been trained to labor and as a laborer the white man accustomed from his youth to the use of firearms would scarcely be deemed wise or advantageous by any and this is the question now before us but should the alternative ever be presented of subjugation or of the employment of the slave as a soldier there seems no reason to doubt what should then be our decision while he dwells on the improbable contingency of our need of resorting to this element of resistance he nevertheless points out that the confederate government might buy the slave from his master and engage to liberate him as a reward for faithful military service mr davis's hesitating and tentative recommendation was seed sown on barren ground if the dose was unpalatable to him it appears to have been yet more bitter to the members of the confederate congress who doubtless felt as has been pithily expressed by a confederate writer that it was an admission of the inherent injustice of slavery that if the negro was fit to be a soldier he was not fit to be a slave that the proposition cut under the traditions and theories of three generations in the south and that by a few strokes of the pen the confederate government had subscribed to the main tenet of the abolition party in the north and all its consequences standing exposed and stultified before the world as the fall of the confederacy drew nigh the stress of disaster compelled his acceptance of the distasteful alternative though even then he could not refrain from expressing the hope that the grim necessity would somehow be averted on the thirtieth of march eighteen sixty five he wrote to governor william smith of virginia i'm happy to receive your assurance of success as well as your promise to seek legislation to secure unmistakably freedom to the slave who shall enter the army with a right to return to his old home when he shall have been honorably discharged from the military service i remain of the opinion that we should confine our first efforts to getting volunteers and would prefer that you would adopt such measures as would advance that mode of recruiting rather than that concerning which you make inquiry to wit by issuing a requisition for the slaves as authorized by the statutes of virginia they debated the unwelcome subject with qualms and grimaces through november december january and most of february on the eleventh of january and again on the eighteenth of february the proposal received a notable support in letters from general lee in which he declared the measure of employing negro soldiers not only expedient but necessary and recommended that the confederate president be empowered to call upon individuals or states for such as they are willing to contribute with the condition of emancipation to all enrolled even under this pressure however the rebel lawmakers could not wholly conquer their repugnance nearly six weeks more elapsed and the fall of richmond was already imminent when on the thirtieth of march eighteen sixty five the confederate congress passed an act upon the subject which provided that if under the previous sections of this act the president shall not be able to raise a sufficient number of troops to prosecute the war successfully and maintain the sovereignty of the states and the independence of the confederate states than he is hereby authorized to call on each state whenever he thinks it expedient for her quota of three hundred thousand troops in addition to those subject to military service under existing laws or so many thereof as the president may deem necessary for the purposes herein mentioned to be raised from such of the population irrespective of color in each state as the proper authorities thereof may determine the confederate writer pollard sums up the result as follows the law as finally enacted was merely to authorize the president to receive into the military service such able-bodied slaves as might be patriotically tendered by their masters to be employed in whatever capacity he might direct no change to be made in the relation of owners of slaves at least so far as it appeared in the bill the fruits of this emasculated measure were two companies of blacks organized from some negro vagabonds in richmond which were allowed to give balls at the libby prison and were exhibited in fine fresh uniforms on capitol square as decoys to obtain sable recruits but the mass of their colored brethren looked on the parade with unenvious eyes and little boys exhibited the early prejudices of race by pelting the fine uniforms with mud End of Chapter twenty one End of Abraham Lincoln A History Volume six by John Hay and John George Nicolay.